wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again this week. And we're following the theme, Is Biblical Creation Dead? And the question we're asking today, could God have created the world by using evolution? Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. Welcome back, David. It's wonderful to have you with us. Good to be back again, Gary. It is really, really fantastic. Now tell me how the bike ride, how is the bike ride going? You were going for a full month, you were fundraising, it's the end of the month, did you succeed? I, well, I succeeded in my goal, yeah. Um, it would have been great to have ridden more kilometres, but uh, I set a goal of 752 kilometres, there's a story there, but we won't go into that, and um, yeah, I... Uh, uh, come Saturday night, the last day of uh, October, at 9pm at night, I set out on my final ride to uh, to achieve my goal, finish my goal. You did night riding. Yeah, 9 o'clock through the middle of Adelaide. Um, it's fairly well lit up. At 9 o'clock, it's probably not that late that you're going to have people that are intoxicated. And uh, said a prayer. I'm impressed. <laughs> I am really impressed. Yeah. So I raised um, uh, donors um, donated. I should say three, just under three and a half thousand dollars, and um, yeah, seven hundred and seventy-three kilometres ridden in October. Oh, that is really fantastic. You'd be able to retire if you do it. If that was for you personally, wouldn't you? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Tell us, David. How did the live streamed worship convention? Go last weekend. Yeah, thank you, Gary. So we had a, a pastor, and uh, a pastor f- focuses on revival, and uh, he joined us uh, from Arizona in the United States, uh, Pastor Lee Venden, and preached three sermons on Gethsemane leading up through to the cross, and mm. just a real reminder of what Jesus did for us, what the Godhead did for us, which was yeah. it was yeah. quite powerful. We had um, the majority of our churches joining us uh, online uh, from their from their churches um, and we filmed from our studio right here mm-hmm. and uh, yeah and and a couple of thousand people watching beyond South Australia. Yeah, I certainly found him to be an excellent presenter. I I was I heard all three sermons, and I I have to have to admit I I was really impressed. I'm really thankful that we actually had uh, Pastor Lee Venden uh, on online. I'm really thankful that uh, uh, that he preached that particular series because I thought it was an incredibly powerful series. In fact, people can still get it online if they want it, can't they? They can. www ministrymedia.com.au and look for me Gary we're living in such uncertain times I mean Mm. right here today um, not here but in the United States uh, we have an election going on uh, with the the most powerful country amazing results coming through Uh, there (laughs) there is and and there is so much uncertainty with COVID you know will there be a vaccine all these sorts of things uh, conspiracy theories with COVID and yet so these messages which you will find online as we've said lead us to the core thing to Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. I know our church really did appreciate it. We had uh, certainly a Friday night program, we had our uh, a program, a Bible study program, but then we had the uh, preaching during the worship service. We actually had an additional one. We had a had a combined
combined lunch. After the combined lunch, we actually came together for a baptism and we had a couple of people being baptised. And then uh, after that, we had uh, had the final meeting. So we had some really tired but incredibly happy people at church on Sabbath. And so, Gary, this is off the cuff. You won't mind this, but uh, you're preaching a series, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually really, really enjoying. In fact, uh, uh, most uh, each each Sabbath, the uh, uh, numbers in our church have been growing, and uh, I'm doing a, a four. Uh, I'm sorry, a ten um, sermon series. This, this will be number seven this particular weekend. It's uh, the four angels, the end times, and the gospel's climax. So this is a critical message. So I would really encourage you to get down to Six Amelia Street, Hove. Uh, to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you're in Adelaide, go there at 11 o'clock, Gary, is it? Well, I'm just actually hoping that not too many come because we're getting very close to maximum capacity for our COVID So you numbers. need to get down there. And, and now that uh, our, there's uh, border restrictions um, relaxed in South Australia, you can even fly in to see your drive time presenter, yeah. Pastor yeah, Gary. No, I'm, really, I'm, I'm really enjoying that particular series. But I know this last weekend we did have a break. Uh, we came across and uh, uh, it was really, uh, really was uh, was appreciated. But look, before we go to our subject for today, I'd just love to uh, chat uh, chat to you on a uh, on another issue there's a uh, today as you know we've got the the US uh, election uh, we've heard enough about about Trump and Biden and the various uh, squabbles that uh, that they're going through over there but I did come across an article on the religion news service uh, where uh, a, a particular church uh, has suggested that uh, Jesus should be president now of course there's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek uh, in uh, in this but uh, uh, the article on the uh, religion news services says this there's a proliferation of signs uh, uh, shirts and stickers advocating Jesus 2020 uh, ha- and it has inescapable political implications now uh, this particular church is suggesting that uh, possibly Jesus 2020 might be better than either of the uh, of the current uh, candidates, apparently Jesus makes quite an impact at the polls. Uh, the influence that Jesus and his teachings exert on the voting booth behaviours of certain segments of the population is well established. Earlier this year, Pew Research Centre found that forty nine percent of Americans and sixty eight percent of American Christians believe that the Bible should have some or a great influence. On U.S. laws, we have yet to find Jesus' name on the ballot, but that hasn't inhibited a proliferation of professional-looking signs, T-shirts and stickers bearing the slogan, Jesus 2020 nationwide. This campaign, of course, isn't actually about electing a 2,000-year-old Jewish uh, individual from Nazareth as uh, the highest office bearer. Rather, the organisers of the movement, the Sampley Memorial Baptist Church in Alabama, uh, hope it will lead people to elect Jesus to be the leader in their life. Local coverage reported several weeks ago that the church has sold more than 30,000 signs and given away another 7,000. The article went on to explain that using political motives has inescapable political implications. Exhorting people to vote for Jesus can also lead, the article says, to the subordination of politics to whatever political interpretation of Jesus actually is able to gain 
the upper hand. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, of course, what we're actually talking about here is the suggestion that if you have, and the article is suggesting, a, a, a significant emphasis on religion in the political area, that can, in fact, have a significant danger connected with us. Now, of course, uh, traditionally, there's been a, a discussion about uh, the separation of, uh, of church and state. Now, David, look, just, just tell us, you know, I mean, is there a problem with, um, with church and state, um, coming together? History tells us clearly there is. Uh, all we have to do is look through the the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, to find that the medieval church, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, both was the state church but also had um, state power assigned to it by the governing kings and queens of the nations that adhered to the Roman Catholic religion. Mm-hmm. We know the consequences of that, that um, uh, the state, the church through the state strongly um, uh, influenced those that would adhere to the teachings of Scripture or teachings that differed from their own teachings. In other words, when there was a link historically between the uh, the church and the state, the state had to decide, firstly, what church are we going to follow? Because you certainly get examples of, for example, in England where there was the, the state, which in that case was that was the, the king or the or the queen would have follow on one particular um, uh, decade would follow the the Catholic uh, religion. And then the next decade, another leader would come along and be following the Protestant religion. Protestant religion, and so you would be safe for X number of years under one king, depending on your religious persuasion. And the following period of time, when a new king came or queen, you would be at risk. Uh, and so we know from history that millions of people died because of church strongly influencing the state. Because which church, as you say, is going to be the dominant church, the state church? So I think that is a huge challenge, uh, and I don't believe it's scriptural. I don't believe that God wants uh, people to have their consciences forced Mm -hmm. to to make decisions. Um, I I believe that a separation of church and state, yeah, reduces that risk of, um, I guess, minorities being persecuted. Okay, okay. Uh, So that's a significant factor. Also, I guess there is greater room for personal choice when it comes to things such as morality and even conscience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some of the key factors. I think that's an important point that you actually raised there, David, this this concept of there being choice, that we actually serve a God that actually doesn't want to force anybody into a, a particular persuasion. He, he wants to be, he wants the people to, to love him unconditionally, but he wants them to do that as a result of their own free choice. So, right with what you've said there, any entity or organization that creates rules that take away freedom of choice, particularly yeah. if we're talking religious institutions, you have something that is anti biblical and mm. anti God. Mm. And I think that what you're actually saying here is actually so important because it explains to us why certainly the uh, more uh, tra- the uh, society certainly as it was set up in America and even here in Australia there is a real separation between the church and the state and uh, you know as uh, are there downsides to that well I'd s- 
possibly there are. Are there any downsides that you can think of? There are. Look, I'll give you one more upside, and that is that it's difficult for the state to influence the church if there is a separation of church and state, or it's more difficult. Yes. Now, we know in our Western society we are seeing more and more freedoms being eroded, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and sometimes there are really plausible and and just reasons for security, for all sorts of things, but they are being eroded Mm -hmm. at times, and, and that's well known in the public sphere. But the downsides, I guess, of separation of church and state are that it can be difficult for the church to influence the state on moral issues. And again... Uh, I believe God has given everyone uh, the freedom of conscience and thought. We have to make up our own mind. Um, Wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone followed the biblical way and the Mm -hmm. biblical principles? Mm -hmm. But we should never use force to do that. So I guess um, when there is a separation of church and state, the church has... Uh, less voice to speak into the into the public realm, uh, and that would include issues such as euthanasia, uh, abortion, the homosexuality question, and and, and we certainly saw that in the big debate here in Australia. We had the the, the big plebiscite, and certainly uh, churches were trying to to put their um, uh, put their view, but their voice was simply one amongst many. Yes, so. End of the day, though, the separation of church and state, I believe, is what fits with the biblical picture. The church should never be forcing, seem to be forcing the conscience. Mm. Mm, yeah. Now, thank you so much for that, David. Really do appreciate that. I just found that uh, that article that uh, uh, you know a church uh, using this as an opportune time to to talk about Jesus. I realise this particular church wasn't actually pushing to uh, elect elect Jesus, but certainly the pushing of religious viewpoint into the political sphere. Are there dangers connected with it? I suggest there probably are dangers connected with that, and hence the separation of of church and state. Let's come to some uh, some music. This is uh, Randy Travis. Above all. Above all kings 
creations and all creative things. Love always done and all the ways of man. You were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders, this world has ever known. Above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way. Above all, what a powerful song that uh, really is. Uh, Folks, for our free gift for you for today, we've got the new King James Version uh, with a Mark Finley Helps. Now, this is a wonderful little uh, study Bible. It's a a gift Bible that uh, so many people have really come to appreciate. It's the new King James Version, but it's got, in the back of it, it's got Pastor Mark Finley has done a, a series of Bible study helps. It answers so many of the really big questions that people have got. If you would like a copy of the New King James Bible with a study Bible with Mark Finley Helps, then please text uh, directly through to here in the studio. That's 0438 066 635. That's 0438 066 uh, Yesterday we had a, a wonderful number of people request uh, this particular free gift and that gift is already uh, on its way to those, uh, uh, to those individuals. But this particular study Bible has been such an asset in the lives, in the Christian lives of so many people. We'd encourage you uh, to pick it up. If you'd like a free gift Bible with those Bible study helps, 0438 Zero double six six three five. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher And David's the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia This week we're following the theme Is Biblical Creation Dead? 
And the question we're asking today is, could God have created the world through evolution? It was just a uh, uh, a couple of years uh, back that I noticed an article came across my desk from the Sydney Morning Herald. The uh, article was entitled, Evolution is Real and God is No Wizard, Says Pope Francis. Now, this really jumped out at me. This was a, a powerful article. This is, this is what it said. Pope Francis has continued his habit of making provocative, seemingly progressive statements while delivering an address to the Pontifical Academy of Sciences. The pontiff appeared to endorse the theory of the Big Bang and told the gathering at the Vatican that there was no contradiction between believing in God as well as the prevailing scientific theories regarding the expansion of the universe. When we read about creation in Genesis, he said, we run the risk of imagining God was a, magi- was a magician with a magic wand able to do everything. But that is not so, Francis said. He created human beings and let them develop according to the internal laws that he gave to each one so they would reach their fulfilment. God is not, said the Pope, a divine being or magician, but the creator who brought everything to life. Evolution in nature is not inconsistent with the notion that creation, because evolution requires the creation of things that evolve. Such thinking is not new for the Catholic Church, which for six, six decades since the reforms of Pope Pius the, the Twelfth have ex, has espoused belief in a thing called theistic evolution that hinges, of course, on the fundamental acceptance of a higher power. Now, theistic evolution, what is a theistic evolution? Well, of course, theistic evolution is the belief that God created uh, this, this world in its present form, but he did it through the process of evolution. In other words, God started the process of evolution, but that then evolution took over. Increasingly, uh, more and more religious organizations are accepting the viewpoint of theistic evolution as being a sort of halfway house uh, between a creation and evolution. This way we can have God and we can have the evolutionary theory. Now, David, look, let me just come to, uh, come to you if I, uh, if I possibly can. You know, David, what is wrong uh, with the belief that God started the process of evolution, maybe by a, by a big bang, uh, but then he allowed evolution to simply do, do its thing? Is there anything wrong with that particular belief? Uh, 100%, Gary. I believe it completely contradicts the Christians, Christianity's message and the biblical message. So under theistic evolution, the Bible tells us who created, that's God, and evolution tells us how God created or how things were created. Mm-hmm. The two are not complementary. They cannot coexist. In fact, they're a complete oxymoron. It would almost be like calling someone a wise fool. Okay, okay. And yet many Christians, as you've said, Gary, um, try and harmonize um, um this evolutionary view with the Bible because they see those first couple of chapters in Genesis as mere fables. Okay, okay. 
So, Gary, I believe, um, I guess, a number of points I want to raise, and then we dig into them deeper if yeah, you're yeah, happy yeah, for us yeah, to do yeah. some questions. So, an understanding of theistic um, evolution and uh, raises these questions. Why do the scriptures describe creation as occurring in six days if it actually took billions of years as, is, as it is asserted in theistic evolution? The Bible says six days. Theistic evolution, billions of years. Another one, how does one harmonize theistic evolution's interpretation of the fossil layers with the clear teaching of Scripture regarding the worldwide flood of Noah? Okay, so, David, I'm just wondering, can we take these just one at a time? Because I'm just really conscious of the, uh, the need. We can, we can have uh, uh, too, much, too much information on, on this one. Yeah, so so look, let's just deal with one of these. What are the problems? What's problem number one? Okay, so I guess problem number one, and it will take it from this angle then, I would suggest is that theistic evolution attacks and undermines the scriptures. So All right. let, me, let okay. me now unpack that if you like. Yeah. Um, right there on page one of the Bible, the first page of scripture, the very first words, in the beginning, God, God created. created. Yes. In the beginning. So the, the Bible... Um, doesn't even go into unpacking um, a lot of that. It just says, in the beginning, God created. There's this yep. assumption, uh, presupposition, that God created everything. Um, and that's why one biblical scholar, Louis Burkhoff, who was an uh, American-Dutch theologian, a, a great systematic theologian, he said, in a word, theistic evolution, in a word, it's a theory that is absolutely subversive of Scripture truth. Okay, okay. Um, because it attacks and undermines the scriptures. So, in the beginning, God. So, it's not just a slight variation on, on normal Christian beliefs. This theory actually calls into account the ent entire Bible understanding of origins. In other words, if you're actually going to interpret the um, the first chapters of the Bible as myth, then why can't you interpret the rest of the Bible also as myth? Spot on. So it's those first few chapters in Genesis. I mean, in the beginning, God. Yes. Uh, the first few chapters of Genesis that set the backdrop for the rest of Scripture. Yeah. yeah. And if you if you uh, fabulize those first few chapters or, or talk th talk about them as myths, then what are you going to do with the rest of Scripture? And in mm -hmm. fact, so much of the rest of Scripture has roots and ties into those first few chapters of Genesis. And that's what a lot of people actually don't realize, that most of the major cardinal beliefs of Christianity can actually be traced back to the first two or three chapters of, uh, of uh, Genesis. If you actually undermine those, you actually undermine the uh, core... The, the core beliefs of Christianity. So while some Christians might think, okay, I can have um, this evolutionary view and creation and call it theistic evolution, therefore I have a happy harmony, yeah. instead, as you say, insidiously, what is happening is you are directly undermining the objective word of God. Yeah, and of course yesterday, those uh, who were uh, heard us yesterday would be aware that we actually went through the uh, first chapter of Genesis and we, we noticed that uh, this uh, recurring phrase there, yeah, the evening and the morning were the first day, the evening and the morning were the second day, the evening and the morning were the third day, and, and so on right through the whole work. And uh, the thing that which we, which we noticed, the thing which we pointed out, was that when that phrase is actually used, it can actually only mean a 24-hour period, which means that if, in fact, we're going to move with a theistic-type concept, uh, then you actually have to negate the clear meaning of Scripture. 
Absolutely. Everything becomes billions. You've got to theorize it away uh, rather than treating it as the actual literal word of God. Mm. And if you do that in one section of the Bible, where are the boundaries to stop you doing it in the rest of Scripture? Exactly. In other words, we create create Scripture to be what we want it to mean based on our own set of values instead of what the Word of God actually says. And that's that's forever dangerous. Whereas the thing that I I find and I really appreciate is the Scripture is actually fairly clear when you take it exactly as it reads. As it's plainly plainly written. And it's when you actually take it out of how it's plainly written that suddenly there's complexities come into, into play that in actual fact I suggest are not there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Gary, um, perhaps another another thing to yeah, raise sure. here with this is that um, theistic evolution attributes to natural causes our creator's supernatural works. Mm-hmm. In other words, you explain away the supernatural. It, it places God as simply an overseer. He sets up uh, the universe, but then um, creation is worked through evolution. So God is merely an overseer. He's he's far off if you like. Uh, uh, could, could could we put it another way? What we've actually done is created God as a God that um, has created suffering. Because you know the thing that I'm so conscious of here and I really appreciate what you've actually said there. What what's actually occurring here is that if in fact God allowed evolutionary uh, processes to take their place, then what that means is that God himself actually has to become a God of suffering. And, you know, to me, you know, through ceaseless eons of, uh, of time, what we've had is man and animals actually developing, um, developing different parts. You know, we're talking developing through suffering. I mean, is that your picture of God? No, it's not. We serve a God of love. The other thing, and we'll touch on that shortly in greater depth, but it shows a God who develops through death. Mm. So he develops through suffering because we know that evolutionary process, what, what, it, pro, uh, what it proclaims, is that uh, the survival of the fittest, things gradually improve yeah. over a period of time, and this happens through death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is completely anti what Scripture teaches. It's in so many areas. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm interested at this point that you bring up about death, actually, because to me, uh, you know, according to the Scriptures, where did death come from? Death came as a result of disobedience to God. Um, The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death came when Adam and Eve chose to disregard God's word, Uh when they chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says the day in which you eat of it, you'll surely die. Mm. So I don't know if that's where you're headed, Gary, but but death came from disbelieving God's word. Uh Now, on a side point, what does theistic evolution teach us? To disregard God's word. Yeah. Now that's not the key point there. But um, theistic evolution tells us that death came at the wrong time. In the closing paragraphs of uh, Charles Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, which I guess was uh, really um, propelled this theory of evolution, um, this is what we read. He wrote, The production of the higher animals was brought about by the war of nature from famine and death. And so in the first place, we've got to ask ourselves, does the war of nature from famine and death sound like 
the means God would use to create a world he pronounced as very good. Mm-hmm. So, as you've said in Genesis chapter 1, um, everything God does, it says, was good. Yeah. And yet, if death is involved in that, how do we reconcile that with, it, with a, picture of, a picture of God? Um, the other thing I would suggest is that um, this theory that um, death comes at the wrong time, which you get with theistic evolution, essentially what it's doing is it's recognizing that evolution's claim that death was the causative factor in producing the higher animals, and that completely contradicts the biblical teaching on the cause of death. In other words, what you're saying there is that death is actually, uh, in the um, evolutionary worldview, death is actually a naturally occurring event. Through the ceaseless ages of eternity, while man is uh, developing through the process of evolution, uh, theistic evolution would require death to simply be a natural event that is occurring in the process of evolution. And we know that Scripture says death is a result of sin. Okay. And not only that, with a theistic view of evolution, uh, through these countless periods of, of millions of years or billions of years, survival of the fittest, of, of life and death and forming and, and, and morphing into different forms, what we have, death actually ends up producing something even better. Mm-hmm. Countless periods of death end up with something that's even better and perfected. In other words, man is ascending to a better plane through the evolutionary viewpoint. Spot on. And what does Scripture tell us about ascending or descending with humanity? And it's exactly the opposite, isn't it? Because according to Scripture, man is actually at, was at his peak when God created him but man sinned, and then since then, he's actually been a downward uh, on a down, downward spiral. I mean, this is, this is frightening, and yet through theistic evolution, we say, no, 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 no. He's actually been increasing uh, through time. So it's, I scratch my head, and I'm not a scientist, but many, many Christians across so many denominations hold to a view of theistic evolution, but I think they don't really understand its full implications. Uh, you know, we know that uh, from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that when God made the world, everything was good. It was perfect. Mm, mm. Uh, when Adam was created and Eve, there was no sin. Mm. So they were created not with um, something that was ascending over millions or billions of years till, till God had perfected his creation. God formed man from the dust of the earth, breathed into him the breath of life, Genesis 2, 7, mm. and man becomes a living being. Yeah. Uh, the, the height, the peak of creation. Mm. And that's on, you know, that's on day six. And, and of course, what, what we've got here is something where mankind is just continuing to, um, to, to, to struggle in the theistic evolutionary worldview. Whereas once we've got God in place, what we find is that God becomes the creator. He also becomes the redeemer. Absolutely. We're going to get there to that redeemer one shortly. So, Romans 5.12 says, By one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men from for all that have sinned. So here we have this beautiful picture. Well, it's not really that beautiful. But um, death came into the world through sin, through the man Adam. And then death by sin passed on to all men. So death and sin 
were non-existent. Sorry, death was non-existent prior to sin. When did sin occur? It happened sometime after the completion of creation. Death is not a naturally occurring event, something that should have been expected on this planet. That's totally contrary to the teaching of Scripture. And the evolutionary theory, as you're saying, Gary, uh, basically has to have billions of deaths before the first human being ever existed. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. where does God this? Where does the Bible that says we have a loving God? Where does He fit into that picture of billions of deaths, if you like, before you even end up with the first man? Yeah, and, and uh, evolution would teach that um, the first man wouldn't have even been Adam. So again, that goes against Scripture. So theistic. So what we're talking about here is something that actually has the effect of undermining. Uh, virtually every major Christian Christian belief, because it undermines the uh, role and authority of the Bible. It undermines the uh, the place of sin. Um, it undermines the character of God. It undermines the incarnation of Jesus. He's coming to this earth to to die and to save us. Well, how does it do that? Well, um, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is the Son of God. All things were created through him. He came into this earth, um, born in Bethlehem. If you follow evolution fully, evolution has to do away with Jesus as, as being truly God. So it under, really undermines, there's no need of a saviour. Why do you need a saviour? That's, that's important. Because, because what is sin? Okay, so in other words, if in fact uh, death uh, came just simply as a natural process. process, that means that in fact there is no sin. And of course, if there is no sin, you actually don't need the Saviour, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So what we can see here is theistic evolution is almost worse than evolution full stop. Mm-hmm. Evolution full stop is is basically anti the scriptural account. Theistic evolution tries to sit on the fence and straddle both. Yeah. And in so doing, countless millions of Christians have been caught up in this false theory that undermines and insidiously attacks the tenets of Christianity, the core tenets. A lot of people don't realize how true that is that you've just what, what you've just shared. You know, I just, I, I picked up another. Uh, an, another article a little while ago from a, a place called the Internet Interfaith Observer, and uh, it actually told the story of a, of a lecturer and some students in his class. And this is this is what it, what it said. It said, "This is the lecturer telling his story. He had looked really uneasy. I just finished giving my first lecture of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology's freshman astronomy course, but this one student stayed behind in my classroom. He nervously explained that although he liked the subject, he was worried that the teaching actually conflicted with his religion. I asked him what his religion was. I was able to tell him." that that particular religion had officially declared that there was no conflict uh, with what I was teaching. They actually held to the belief of theistic evolution. He didn't realize that. But then something amazing happened. His anxiety just melted away right in front of my eyes. Poof, is what the article says. Uh, As a result of that, 
what what we find is that that lecturer actually went and did some research into this area of the beliefs of Christian churches. These days, when students come to him and challenge him about the uh, the subject of evolution and their how uncomfortable they are, he actually doesn't give them a scientific answer. What he does is simply provides them with the belief of their particular religion. And what he discovered in his research was that uh, over 60% of a Christian religions today have actually formally adopted, a lot of the believers haven't, but the religions themselves have actually formally adopted theistic evolution as being a heart and core of their belief structure. You know, this is actually really frightening because what it's doing is opening up uh, a um, uh, opening up a method whereby uh, whereby young people in a university type of uh, uh, environment can be easily overtaken by arguments that are not either biblically sound or scientifically sound. And when you're shown that your denomination holds to these theories, what yeah. can you then say? Exactly, exactly. And this is the, in fact, if our, if our friends just actually go online, just have a look at this, you know, you know, it's really worth just looking on the official documentation of, you know, particular, any particular church's website. They've all got, you know, exactly what, what their, their beliefs are. You can look on creation and evolution and it's amazing how many, in fact, I, I know I've preached a number of times on this particular mm. subject and I actually share the official statements of belief from, uh, uh, from a number of, uh, uh of different organizations and people are, uh, Many people are horrified because they they don't actually realise what their particular uh, donations are actually standing for at this yeah. particular point in time. A lot of people never realise that, uh, for example, Pope Francis has has made some incredible statements in this particular area. Yeah, it, it's scary, really. It's really yeah, scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gary, yeah, just to, to follow this on, um, we've talked about that theistic evolution ignores the fall of humanity. Yeah. Um, in the biblical picture, um, the theme of the Bible is the fall of humanity. In other words, when humanity fell into sin and therefore the need of a saviour. Now, in spite of that, theistic evolution, the fall of humanity, it's an upward fall, as we've said. Mm. Humanity keeps getting better and better and better, mm. whereas the biblical picture is the complete opposite. Uh, we begin with a perfect creation. Uh, then there follows man's degeneration. Mm -hmm. uh, Adam and Eve fell into sin. They chose sin. And then the theme of the scripture is man's regeneration, humanity's regeneration mm -hmm. through the plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. And so theistic evolution attacks every single uh, core tenet of this. Yeah. And this is direct from Satan because Satan, I believe the one thing he cannot do is create from nothing Yeah, like yeah. Jesus did. He spoke yeah. and it happened. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. He spoke and worlds were called into existence. Indeed. Now, we are told to worship God yeah. because he is our creator. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in Revelation. In fact, I love that particular passage. That's found in Revelation chapter 14. I actually preached an entire sermon on that particular uh, text just uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, worship God, the creator God. And there's, get this call in the book of Revelation for, uh, for Christian people, for those who are living just before Jesus Christ comes, to preach uh, this issue of 
creation. Creation is so important. Our creator God, you know, there was a time when uh, God was actually called omnipotent. What does the word omnipotent actually mean? Uh, it's well, all powerful, all powerful. Uh, do you know if, in fact, uh, what we have done in uh, with theistic evolution is actually dethrone God because God is no longer all powerful. He doesn't apparently have the power to actually create. What you've done is taken God off His throne. That's it. He's, as I said earlier, He's an overseer. Yeah, He, he looks on. Yeah, this is this is classic Christian deism. You know, of course, what's deism, David? I mean, I'm using terms here I shouldn't be using. No, no. It's look. It's basically deism is a picture of an absentee landlord. Yeah. Where a god sort of sets things up, he then moves away and has little, if any, interaction with humanity. Yeah. And yet, the story of Scripture is one of uh, a god that um, has a personal relationship with people on a continual basis. Paul to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, um, he says this, he says that um, God is not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, and then he says, he gives to all life and breath, he giveth to all life and mm. breath all things. So God, the picture of scripture, is that God is continually Intimately involved yeah. in not only the creation, the full creation of humanity and nature, but the ongoing sustaining, the sustaining of it. Of it. Don't we serve a, a wonderful God, a God not just sustaining it, but a God who not only is the creator, but is also the one who is able to recreate, the one who is prepared to come and offer a sacrifice of himself, the one who desires to actually bring people back uh, to uh, to himself. You know what we're doing. Theistic evolution actually undermines does that, with all that of that. entire picture. All of it. All of it. So, so where does Christ come in in theistic evolution? You, you've eliminated him. You've eliminated him. And yeah. what does Satan want to do? Yeah, yeah. He wants to take the place of Christ. I mean, right there we have in Isaiah chapter 14 and, uh, and Ezekiel uh, 28, Satan seeks to be like the Most High. Yeah. He, I yeah. will, I will, he says in Isaiah uh, 14. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he wanted the place that was Christ's. Yeah. David, let's come to some, uh, some music. This is Keith Green. There is a Redeemer. God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One, Jesus, my Stand in 
Keith Green, there is a Redeemer. Uh, Just a reminder that today uh, we've got a free gift for you, uh, the New King James Version Bible. Uh, This is a study Bible. This comes complete with Pastor Mark Finley uh, helps in the the back of this Bible. Uh, This has been really appreciated by so many people. If you would like this free gift, our free offer to you today, uh, please text your name and your address to uh, 0438. Zero double six six three five. That's o four three eight. Zero double six six three five. That's the New King James Version with study helps. You'll really appreciate uh, this particular gift. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q and A with Pastor Gary. Uh, today our co-host is David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh Day Adventist Church in South Australia. This week we're following the theme: Is Biblical Creation Dead? And the question we're asking today is, could God have created the world by evolution? Dave, we've got about five minutes before we're going to have to wind it all up. Tell us, tell us some more. A couple of little points and then a little summary. Why does the Bible describe God's abhorrence of death and his plan to eliminate it if death is part of God's plan for improving creation by theistic evolution? That's a serious question. Just to consider, how does one reconcile theistic evolutionary view that God is responsible for death with the biblical view that man's sin is responsible for death? And I guess just one more, um, and, and this would be the one I would, uh, would put to our listeners, um, how does one reconcile the gradual process of divinely directed progress, as outlined in theistic evolution, mm. with the catastrophic intervention of the second coming of Jesus, which is what's described in Scripture? Yeah. So I believe those core tenets of Christianity are eroded and smashed and done away with. And 
I go back to Genesis chapter 1. You know, I just picking up one of the points you actually mm, made there just, just a minute ago. Uh, I, uh, I was actually talking to a, uh, to a university student on one particular occasion and uh, we were talking about this whole subject of, of evolution and theistic evolution and the uh, increasing belief of Christian churches into this, this theism um, and uh, trying to connect it with evolution. And uh, I, I said to him, I said, tell me something. You, you're struggling with the concept of a supernatural creator. I said, do you believe in a virgin birth? He said, yeah. I said, what about those, those miracles that Christ did? Do you believe in those? Yeah. I said, when, what about predictive prophecy? Mm. How did you feel? Oh, I can handle that. I said, when Christ comes again, and he recreates the book of Revelation, the last couple of chapters, talks about Christ coming again, talks about a recreation of the world. I said to him, I said, how is God going to recreate the world? And he said, oh, we're going to see it. And all of a sudden he realized he what he actually stopped at that particular point. And he realized that if, in fact, uh, an individual uh, was going to be biblically consistent, if they were going to be thoroughly consistent to all that's actually revealed in the Scripture, you couldn't preach a virgin birth. You couldn't preach uh, the miracles of Christ. You couldn't preach predictive prophecy. You couldn't preach that Jesus was going to come again supernaturally and recreate the world supernaturally and then turn around and logically deny mm. that Jesus could create the world originally. So if you decreate creation with a theistic worldview, then you decreate recreation of an earth made new. So the beginning important. and the ending of scriptures are done away with, exactly. are transformed into something exactly. non-biblical, non-Christian. Exactly. What you have done is undermine the cardinal tenets of Christianity. Absolutely. So if you want to do away with creation, you have to deal with Genesis 1. In Genesis chapter 1, 31 times we come across the word God. There's yeah. 31 verses yeah. in Genesis 1. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to do away and minimize this whole God picture. And so, Gary, I want to suggest that the Bible can't simply just be a good book. It cannot be a good book if it's a book of lies. It's either true or it's not. Either it's the inspired word of God a living God, as it claims to be, or it's not. It can't be one or the other. Yeah. It can't be a mishmash. It cannot be both. And I believe that those who reject the Genesis account may not realize it, but in fact they're actually really rejecting Christianity yeah. because all of Scripture is inspired. We really have to stop this silly proposition of uh, trying to suggest that you can actually have a halfway house in this one. No because such thing. This, uh, this is something that as I, the more and more I get into this, the more and more I see of this particular issue, this is a house. You know, I was interested looking at uh, uh, Richard Dawkins on one particular occasion, and this was actually a point that he made. He said, uh, you know, my friends, he said, if you're going to be consistent, he said, you can have the God of the Bible, but you've got to have a God who is the creator God because that's what he does all through the scriptures. He said, or... Go the other direction and be an atheistic evolutionist. And he said you're being consistent if you are like him, an atheistic evolution. But he said, please, don't give me nonsense about this halfway house. And we would agree with him on that one thing. And it's the one thing I actually agree with Richard Dawkins yeah, on. Absolutely. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, look, we've, how would you like to pray for us? We do need to finish. Father God, we just want to thank you that you are not distant, that you are the God who 
is all-powerful, who created all things through Jesus by the word of his mouth, by his hands he created us, Lord, the first man, the first woman. Father, we thank you that uh, we have a purpose, we have origins, we have a future. We thank you that sin was not part of your plan, that death was not part of your plan, but instead Jesus came to die, to take our place, and he's coming back to renew us, Lord, and to bring the dead to life that love him. Mm-hmm. May we not sit on either side of this fence, Lord, but may we ho- follow and hold to the full tenet of Scripture, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time, big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano asks, did Jesus teach and believe biblical creation? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. Please enjoy, Bethany Dillon, how deep the Father's love for us. It's true.